can feel the optimism in this city after Saturday's Game 1 performance by the home team, Toronto Steamrolled. Oh, see Ockham, the creativity! Embiid, contact with Lowry, kick it out, Butler nails it from the corner, it's a triple. Gasol, back out for Lowry. Lowry, contact, gets it to go, plus the foul. Just so crafty. Butler, rainbow three, Jimmy Butler. Green beats Monroe off the dribble, sweeping move. He missed it. Yeah, that's not the strength of Danny Green, who is a terrific 3 and D guy, but does struggle at times when he's got to put it on the floor. Harris attack mode for Philly. No struggle there. Simmons with a head of steam. Harris, ball fake, dumps it. Ennis by himself. Shovels. Simmons right down the middle for two. Butler. Jimmy Buckets on the inside. Try to work with two defenders. Finds Butler. Gives it up. Green for the tie. Off the rim. Gasol keeps it alive. Knocked around. Harris has got it for Philadelphia. They have to foul. 94-89 Philly. Yeah, I mean, I think we always take a look at it, right? I think we are always thinking about, you know, any possible adjustments to it or changes or whatever. Um, and and this will certainly, um, you know, give us cause to reflect and review that for sure. Um, what we come up with by, by game three, you know, I don't know yet. Welcome to the South of the Six podcast, bringing you the latest on your favorite Toronto sports teams from south of the Canadian border. Here's your host, Adam Corsair. All right, welcome to episode 118 of the South of the Six podcast. We are part of the stadium scene.tv network and part of the overtime media crew. The Raptors lost in devastating fashion. Yes, sir. (laughs) (laughs) And we're going to break it all down. Joining me tonight to talk about both Sixers and Raptors. Let me see if I get this all down correctly. Ready? We got a former former national champion with Villanova, formerly part of the 76ers Summer League squad, host of Stay Tuned with D-Ray, and co-host of Here They Come, the 76ers Believe podcast, Mr. Daryl Reynolds. Did I get it all? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> Thank you. How you been, man? I've been good, man. I've been good. Just, just like I said, just busy, man. Busy running around, um, learning a lot about this business, you know, the podcast business and how much goes into the just media production. But it's been fun. Yeah, you uh, you took a, a pretty unique journey, right? Going from athlete to, to podcasting and media. How, how did that go about? Um, it, it kind of started, well, I graduated in 2017 from Nova, um, and I was a comm major. So it's always been kind of, uh, the other passion, you know, I guess the best way to put it, um, just storytelling and things like that. But I started off playing ball. Like you said, I was on the Sixers summer league team in that first year and ultimately it didn't work out. So I went overseas my first year in Poland. Um, and I had this idea, uh, I was like, you know, why aren't certain people interviewing our guys after the 2018 championship? Like certain people would know to ask certain questions. Right, right. Then it dawned on me, you have a communications degree. You ask the questions. So um, I immediately jumped into it when I got back home and with the help of a professor of mine at Villanova, I set up a studio show and we called it Stay Tuned with D-Ray. And we sat down with, it started off as kind of like just a way to kind of mess around with the 2016 versus 2018 team. And, you know, we we're going to talk about that. And it turned into ultimately telling all the stories that made these past couple of years what they were. So as we, you know, just wrapped those up, we got done that first season. We were like, this was great. Fox Sports picked up. Uh, Fox Sports 1 picked it up. Um, it was featured on Coach Wright's show on NBC Sports in Philly. And it got a lot of traction. And I was like, I like this, but I want to get more into uh, in-depth storytelling. Right, so right. I immediately, um, immediately jumped into uh, – the podcast thing and my first guest was a photographer friend of mine and just we were in a hotel in new york we were up there for the yukon game earlier this year um and after we were done i was like this is amazing you know that the idea that you can get so in depth with conversations and talk to people on another level in the studio show was nice and you know color commentating is nice and things right. like that but those interviews are quick to the point you got to get it out the way what we did with this um what we did with the podcast, like I said, just the, the idea of being able to sit down with somebody for 45 minutes at a time 
and just chop it up, I was like, oh, this is great. And that's that's kind of how I got to this point. Do you uh, feel that your your career as an athlete in terms of like the teamwork aspect and the communication that you have to have with your teammates, do you feel that that helped uh, not just influence, but pretty much get you ready and prepare for this podcasting journey? Oh my God. Yes. Yes. So much. So, um, it was a, a kind of an ongoing joke, uh, amongst like the, the media people in Philly. They was like, you know, this kid, like he's more known for his interviews than it is on the court. And I was just like, and I ain't gonna lie. I didn't know how to take that at first. I was like, what are y'all getting at? What are y'all getting at? But you know, they would like, I got a chance to talk to some of them when I came back and it was like, no, like you should, you know, you ever think about doing this or doing that after that. And to be honest, for me, I never thought about being in this. Um, I went to school of communications. I want to actually, I will ultimately end up directing and writing and producing uh, feature length films. There you go. Um, but yes, like so much of the, of the the interviews that you do as a player, post game stuff like that. Um, just watching how they set up the stories, watching how you know Coach Wright has a show called Inside Film of Basketball with Jay Wright, and the guys who handle his show, the way they would set it up, the way they would pride for certain questions, the way they would get certain things out of people was just I was like, this is this is uh this is just as thrilling, you know, as playing almost. Cause like I said, just the idea of getting people's story and figuring out how they got to where they are for me is really it's a big part of what I do. I feel that this is extremely beneficial for athletes out there, not just to to have an avenue to express themselves, but to have an avenue to communicate with other people that probably, you know, wouldn't have been able to otherwise. In other words, when you have this podcasting medium, right, you get to know athletes on a personal personal and fundamental level that yes. you probably wouldn't have gotten to meet them before, you know, because when you do, and I'm not trying to <clears throat> act like I know what I'm talking about. I'm not like a professional athlete here, but I'm sure when you do like post game scrums or whatever, there's a level of a political correctness that you have to adhere to. Whereas if you do a podcast, it's more like you're letting your, your legit person bleed out there. And it's, there's something pretty, you know, vulnerable about that. But at the same time, it's a welcome thing to have people outside of the the athletic community really get to know an individual like that yes 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 and um and, and like in so many ways like you just said like the idea of getting to know people you know as people and kind of shedding that professionalism don't get me wrong there's a place for that you know that's that's right. that's, that's more than welcome um but that's not what i wanted to do i kind of wanted to figure out and find out because i you know I, i'm not about to toot my own horn but i consider myself an interesting person in the sense that some of the things that, that interest me or some of the things that I kind of go off of away from basketball, most people wouldn't expect. Like, for example, I love to cook. I'm mm -hmm. a chef. Like, if I wasn't, you know, doing this, I'd probably be somewhere in the kitchen. And, like, that's not – you'd be surprised how many athletes have other hobbies and things like that. Like, one of my teammates, Amari Spellman, um, he writes poetry. You know, that's something that he does is therapeutic. So I was like, I have all these people around me like me who have other interests, you know, other goals, other aspirations outside of basketball. And for me, it's more so finding out where that came from and where do you think that's going? Where do you want to go with it? But yes, it all ties into who are you as a person like you? I was describing to somebody the analogy. Um, for the most part, us athletes are ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Nice. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and. What happens is the only the extraordinary part is what you see on the field and obviously the work that they had to put into to get to the point to where you see it on the field or on the court or whatever your respective sport may be. But the ordinary part is once they get out of that, you know, that part of themselves and once they walk out of that arena, who are they as a person? And you'll find nine times out of ten, they're just like everybody else. And that way, that's their ordinary part. The extraordinary part is on and off the field. And also, I mean, on the field and or the court or whatever, but the, the ordinary part is, okay, what happens when that guy goes home? What happens when that girl, you know, goes into her other work, uh, goes out with her friends, something like that? And um, like I said, it's always been something I, I've been passionate about, uh, not only finding out, but, but sharing with people as well. Yeah, I think that this is something that a lot of athletes are embracing, and it's a welcome sight. Um, I don't know if you know, like, Danny Green, right? He has his own podcast since the beginning of the season. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I think, I, I don't want to say this for sure, but I'm pretty sure he also was a communications, uh, major in UNC and mm -hmm. you can just tell, you can tell that the personality and is how personable he is on the show. It just bleeds out there and it's a great, um, 
different way to communicate with athletes because, you know, typically before all this, before the audio, you just had Twitter, right? And when you just have Twitter, you can't really know how someone's saying something and the expressiveness and the emotion about it isn't really present. Whereas now with podcasting, I do think that athletes are going to take advantage of this and maybe not, you know, during their uh, tenure as athletes, as professional athletes getting paid in the NBA or MLB or what have you. But I think like maybe a post-retirement medium to communicate with fans. I think this is extraordinary to have. Yeah, no, it, it really is. It really is. And not just in, in athletes, like I said, for example, I don't just on my show, stay tuned with you. I don't just, you know, interview athletes. I want to, right. for me, it's more so like the collective of storytelling um, as a whole and like how like I said how did you arrive at this point um, but in so many ways like podcasting just away from athletes and away from that part of stuff is the new radio you know podcast yeah. to kind of do uh, to um, to radio what uh, you know Netflix and Hulu and things like that did to traditional TV you know you consume it when you want like that's what I like like I follow several podcasts um, you know for motivation you know, in the morning, you're on your way to work, you want to listen to a podcast that talks about motivation. I listen to podcasts, talks about business and managing and things like that. Like, it's turning into that Netflix kind of model of you consume it when you want, and it's the new radio. And I, I think whoever the hell thought of it, you know, they need a pat on the back, man. It's, <laughs> like you said, it's the perfect medium. Yeah, it's it's good to have something on demand that really suits whatever niche you're looking for, right? And, and I think that's valuable. I think that we are living and progressively living to an on-demand society that, yes. you know, we, we want this this content as soon as possible. And when you have this raw content, I think that's what makes podcasting so compelling. And, you know, having um, athletes or even celebrities, what have you, talk about different things outside of their, I guess, in other words, what people know them for. Yes. Right? It, it's, it's raw, it's uncut, it's legitimate, and it's real. And I think in that aspect, people really find a connection. Like, as you mentioned, you said <clears throat> you like to cook. I don't know how many people knew that about you, but yeah. now that we have a podcast and now that you know, you're on this podcast or the podcast that you have, that's out there. That's extraordinary, and it really adds another layer to the personalities and just the personhood of everybody that's actually hosting a podcast. It's extraordinary. Exactly. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's let's chop this up right now because this is the first time. <clears throat> usually, I usually have Raptors related uh, guests on the show to either cheer on the team or rip them to shreds. This is the first time I have someone that is a fan of the opposition, right? And you're Philly born and bred, right? So this is this is a uh, this is a, a unique opportunity. So let's just break this all down. Right now, Raptors and Sixers are tied at one game apiece. Um, they had a pretty dramatic victory in, Tor in Toronto, the Sixers did, in Game 2. Uh, game 1 saw the Raptors flex their muscles a bit, specifically from Pascal Siakam and Kawhi Leonard on the offensive end, combining for 74 points, 45 of which were from Kawhi alone. Uh, the Sixers, to their credit, answered the challenge in Game 2 with an outstanding defense, uh, defensive performance and necessary adjustments, keeping the ball outside of, outside of the paint and not allowing anything near there. That being said... How do you feel about the Sixers' chances the rest of the way? Well, obviously, I'm going to go against the Sixers. Um, on me and Aton's show, which you mentioned earlier, <laughs> uh, I picked I picked the Sixers in seven. I think you did, yeah. everything they have to get past this Raptors team. But I think, if obviously, they continue to put together games like they did yesterday. Um, you know, they, they can't take it. I don't know what's up with them in losing that first game in that fashion, kind of how they lost to Brooklyn in the, in the previous series. I don't know if they caught themselves – Test, I don't know if it's youth or, or, or strategy, whatever it is. They have this thing about dropping that first game in kind of a weird, uh, unprepared-looking fashion, I guess is the best way to put it. But uh, the adjustments mm -hmm. they made, like you said, um, you know, keeping them out of the paint, and a lot of the things they did in game two to help them win um, was huge. I think the key, uh, you know, for the um, the Sixers to, to win this series is, um, and I said, like I said, I also said this on me and Aton's show, is Jimmy Butler. You know, so many people look to Jaw and B, and I don't think, I think because of the great defenders that the Raptors have in Mark Gasol and Serge Ibaka, I don't think Jaw and B is going to be the Jaw and B he was in the net series. I don't think he's going to be the Jaw and B he was for a lot of the regular season because, in so many ways, like you have two guys who constantly can switch off on you um, and just, just another body to throw at them. And it's just that wears a guy down. And we're talking about a guy who, quite frankly, everybody already knows 
is worn down. You know, he's, mm-hmm. he's at a point in, in the season where he's really trying to just put together some games. I think the uh, the key for this series, uh, as far as the Sixers go, is um is Jimmy Butler. Is Jimmy Butler. As far as the Raptors go, obviously we have a Nova guy on that team, and Kyle. I'm still not rooting for him, but, <laughs> but um, the, the Raptors, they, you know, they're a great team, that well-oiled machine. And I think the most dangerous thing the Raptors have um, that the Sixers do not and they can't buy is a sense of urgency, you know, and, and a lot of that Raptors organization and that team and obviously in their leader, who is Kyle, like, yes, Kawhi is the best player, but Kyle is the leader of that team. You have guys who have been to where they are now several times. Um, yeah. And they went up against a guy named LeBron James. And obviously time at the time of losing against him, that's sickening. And I, you know, I said before, like probably the happiest person, you know, to find out LeBron was going to, uh, to LA next to Danny Ainge was was Kyle. Like, you know, like, he probably was the happiest person. It's like, I, I I don't have to, like, don't get me wrong, as a competitor, you're already saying, all right, next time I get against him, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. But it's a whole different story when you know, I don't even have to worry about that guy anymore. So the Raptors are playing with a sense of urgency and sharpness that I don't think the Sixers can match. And that's fine. You know, you're not going to be able to. They've been through certain things they haven't, but I think if Jimmy Butler continues to put together games like he has and the Sixers continue to lock down defensively, um, the Raptors, and I say lock down, I mean limit, uh, you know, uh, points in the paint and things like that. They're not going to stop a Kawhi or Kyle Siakam completely, but if they can limit and make their buckets a little more difficult, I got the Sixers and seven. You touched on a lot of things there, and not all of them are, well, pretty much they're all true, right? Um, Look, the, the thing about this, the Jimmy Butler aspect is that like Jimmy Buckets has always been a Raptor killer ever since he's been in Chicago onwards. He's always been a Raptor killer. And you ask any Raptors fan out there who is probably the most the scariest guy on the Sixer squad for fans. It's Buckets, right? Because he comes out in the clutch as demonstrated in game 2. He was outstanding in game 2 and this when he once he gets going, you can't stop him. Yes, yes, yes. And I mean, but that's what they brought him here for. And it's so funny that you say that he's the, the Raptor killer because in the same sense, and I, as much as I want to act like I, I I can't say that I found this stat on my own, sure. but I'm going on credit who did. I did not realize that, that Kawhi Leonard had never lost to the Sixers until never. yesterday. Yep, not that's once. crazy. Yep. Like, that's crazy. So, like, I, it's so funny that you have a guy on each team who is known for giving the opposite the opposition fits you know, time and time again. And those those two guys are obviously, um, you know, at the – well, most people would say Kawhi. I say Jimmy and um, Kawhi, not Kawhi and um, mm-hmm. Joel and B. But those two guys are at the pinnacle of, of this series. And it's a lot of it, as we saw yesterday, and obviously in game one, comes down to those two. You mentioned the, the sense of urgency that the Raptors are playing with, and I don't disagree. Um, it leads me to a question that I think is interesting in terms of the psychological aspect here. Um, I'm sure you're aware that Raptors fans are pretty much like eagerly anticipating whether or not Kawhi is going to stay, right? Whether or not shipping off the franchise guy and DeMar DeRozan to San Antonio for Kawhi was worth it, right? This year, notwithstanding, there is this uh, overwhelming sense of needing Kawhi to stay in Toronto and legitimizing the city as a as a top tier city in the NBA. Yeah. Do Philly fans have that same sense of anxiety when it comes to Jimmy Butler and Harris? Um, okay, I, I can't say that Philly fans have the exact same sense of um, anxiety because the fact that we have our guys Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons and. You, you know, with adding Tobias Harris, that's another guy who, all right, if Jimmy Butler does leave, we're not completely, you know, we're just not completely out of luck like a LeBron leaving Cleveland. Right. Um, but it's I, I can't I can't stress enough how important he is. I don't know if every fan knows this, um, you know, necessarily, but Jimmy Butler, to me, is as important as anybody on his team because, first of all, he's a veteran presence. And you can not you, you can buy a lot of things in this game. You can't buy experience. Right. You know what I mean? So him being a veteran presence with such a young team, such an inexperienced team, alone is just a huge part of the value that he brings. And Tobias Harris isn't quite comfortable enough yet to show up in clutch moments. You have a Jimmy Butler. That's not something that's going to just, you know, fix itself over this summer. That's something that we're going to need for years to come. So... I don't think that, like I said, the same sense of um, anxiety is there with him leaving. 
but I do think he is as important. Yeah, I can see that. I can see how Jimmy Butler does provide that veteran aspect and presence to a team, especially one that's trying to make a deep run into the playoffs, right? You need his clutch shooting. You need his his ability to, that physicality and just that will to win. Like, that is something that, as a Raptors fan, like, put it this way. As a guy that is a fan of a team in another jersey, I hate playing against Jimmy Butler, exactly. but I would love for him to be on my exactly, team. exactly, and that's and that, that those are the type of players that you to me, obviously I'm not I'm not in those meetings, but to me those are the guys you don't give up. The guys that when other teams see him coming, they say, "Oh my gosh, not again!" But obviously, you would say the same thing if you were you know in their shoes. Yeah. So no, I, I think Jimmy Butler. I think the Sixers have to do whatever they have to do to make sure Jimmy Butler stays. Yeah, it's interesting. I think that th- this summer is probably one of the best free agent classes that the NBA has seen in a long time. And it has the ability to shake things up like we've never seen. I do think that you're going to see a lot of teams go heavy on the All-Stars and go heavy with their pitches. I think this is a great time to be an NBA fan because like, the the one minute you see this Philly team or this Toronto team this year making this playoff run, next year it could be a completely different team. So it just goes to show you how quickly the script can flip. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Let me uh, let me move on and talk exclusively, really, about Game Two. Um, look, last night as a as a Raptors fan, a lot of Raptors fans like to blame the refs. Like that's their knee jerk reaction. I, I can't go that route. Like because you can blame it on any little nitpicky thing. I just think the refs are the obvious route to go to. Um, for me, the biggest factor that caused the Raptors to lose this game was simply that Nick Nurse got out coached by Brett Brown. What? Um, you got to admire the way he adjusted from game one and really stick to the game plan. Um, On the Raptors' end, the fact that Gasol wasn't on the floor every time Embiid was on the floor proved disastrous. Um, Couple that with the bench just noping the crap out of the game and struggling to no end didn't help them at all. Um, Brown really punished the, the Raptors with the mismanagements of rotations, and it's encouraging to see a coach making these decisions and these adjustments. So having said that, do you trust that he's going to be able to maintain these this level of adjustments throughout the series, or do you think like this is top peak Brett Brown? Uh, well, this is definitely a, a better Brett Brown than a lot of us have seen, um, to be honest, as, as a, you know, in a city where a guy... He, he gets criticized so much. It's it's not even funny. And to mm-hmm. me, it's not necessarily fair. Um, I don't think that you can put as much as you do on Brett Brown because there's something to be said in the NBA that those coaches only have so much control, you know. Um, and quite honestly, I think a lot of times coaches, you know, they, they kind of get the short end of the stick when, you know, it comes down to that final decision to fire them or to hire them thinking that they're going to change things around. It's like you'd be surprised how much control coaches do not have. With that said, yes, that was Pete Brett Brown yesterday um, in game two and just just completely out-coaching him um, in those moments. But there were moments where it was left to the players, as it always is. You know, Jimmy Butler, you couldn't coach what he did last night. Like, no. You can't coach that at all. You couldn't coach some of the um, just adjustments that they those guys made on the floor like within defensive possessions. I think Brett Brown did a great job, but um, in so many ways, I, I don't think it's going to be something that's kept up just because you're dealing with the Raptors and they're where they're at for a reason. You know, that coach is great at figuring out, okay, we, we failed here. We made it here. Like, I don't think they lost. I don't think they got swept in any series this um, season. No. So you're dealing with a team that is, is great at making adjustments. And this time of year, obviously every team is great at that, but the Raptors in their experience with their coach, as well as their players, yeah, no, that's not, it's, it's not going to happen again. And people forget like yesterday. Okay. Yesterday was a win for the Sixers, but, that was clawed and scratched that. That wasn't, you know, outright. Like, in the beginning of the game, it looked like, obviously, the beginning, uh, the end of the first quarter, you're looking at 26-17. It looks like, oh, my gosh, they're going to run away with this. And then, you know, you look up at one point in the fourth quarter, and it's knocked down to three points. You yep. know what I mean? So, no, I don't think they're going to just just roll over, and it's just going to be, oh, my gosh, the Sixers just ride off into the sunset. But at the same time, if Brett Brown can keep up what he's doing, and um, the Sixers can give that much more on the defensive end, because it was sometimes where it was possessions yesterday. Like, you're looking at guys getting wide open threes and just missing assignments. Like, when the game got close, when Kyle hit those two threes in a row, those – I don't think those were earned threes. Those, those were given, you know, right. like you're not even defending the guy. Um, so I, I don't think that Brett Brown will be able to keep it up. But he might not have to if they take care of business on the floor. 
You mentioned on your show that, and, and you touched on this earlier, that the, for the Sixers, the best way of beating the Raptors is not to merely just contain Kawhi or Pascal or you know Gasol, but to limit them and try to make, say, a Lowry or a Green or a Van Vliet beat them. This is exactly what the uh, 76ers did yesterday, like to the T. Um, these adjustments that I mentioned, um, the Gasol and Bede uh, game one matchup was proven to be poor. However, when you switch that and make Embiid primarily guard a Pascal Siakam, that really messes up the flow of a Siakam, right? Because he, he relies on his movement. He relies on his rhythm to score. And when you have a guy as long and as threatening in the paint as Embiid, that eliminates a huge aspect of the Raptors' scoring game. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, most definitely, most definitely. And I, I think, like I said, thank you <laughs> for shouting us out on that. But oh, for uh, sure. no, that, that is definitely the name of the game for the Sixers because you're at a point where you're not going to stop these guys completely. There's no way in the world that you shut down a Kawhi Leonard in the sense of you hold him to, you know, five or less points. The same thing with Kyle, the same thing with Siakam. You're not going to do that. It's just so much of his art. How are they getting it? You know, if you, if those guys have 20 points each and they had to take a crazy amount of shots to get to 20 points, then that's fine. You did your job and you live with that because that means other guys aren't touching the ball. That also means that, you know, other guys have to make decisions and things like that. And those are the guys that you want. Like you said, a Van Vliet or somebody like that. You want those guys to beat you. And if those guys beat you, then you just deal with it. But you know that that you didn't let, you know, X, Y, and Z, who is Kawhi for this team at Kawhi, Siakam, and uh, Kyle Lowry, depending on the night, beat you. It's kind of how what the Celtics did to uh, to the Bucks. You know, Giannis, if you completely just X him, and they did an amazing job on him in game sure. one. But if you shut down or at least make it very difficult for a guy to just, you know, like uh, a guy who's used to just running over people, uh, fight for every point that he gets and really every shot he takes is contested. And every time he gets a board, you know, somebody's there. Every time they post him up, somebody's doubling down on him. If you make him work for it like that and the other guys have to, to score constantly, other guys who are used to waiting around, quite frankly, for him to do it, that makes the game a lot more difficult. I don't think the Sixers can do what the Celtics did in the sense of just shutting down a Kawhi because, quite frankly, Kawhi isn't Giannis. I think he's better just because of experience and because, of you know, he brings so many different things to the table and his shot and his ability to create. But, um, no, if the Sixers continue to do that, I think that that'll win this series for him. It's not just the the limiting factor that you touched on. It's also taking advantage of situations. Like I mentioned, Nick Nurse uh, was terrible uh, in Game 2 with his rotations to the point where there was, I think, towards the end of the second quarter, if I'm not mistaken, going to the half, uh, the Raptors had Fred Van Vliet, Norman Powell, Serge Ibaka, Jody Meeks, and... Kawhi Leonard, right? Yeah. And one of these things don't look like the other four for the Raptors, <laughs> right? And it, it got to the point where I noticed Kawhi was at the top of the key and the Sixers, for a split second, I don't know if it was by design or if it was just like they wanted to trap him, triple teamed him. Yeah. And that says a lot by uh, from the Sixers saying, you can let those other four whatever guys beat us. They're not going exactly. to. You're the only one that matters exactly. on this team. Exactly. So when you have a guy like Kawhi Leonard, yes, he's a force. Yes, he's this outstanding player. But when you have, when he lacks shooters around him, you know, reliable talent around him, Raptors aren't going to go anywhere. Yeah, no, no, no. And, and that's why they have them. You know, that's why they have them because they ran into that problem so many times before. Um, obviously, you know, DeMar DeRozan was a great player, but DeMar DeRozan is not Kawhi. Right. That's why they have a Kawhi because they ran into that problem so many times before. Because, you know, DeMar DeRozan, all, obviously, yes, he's a great player, but this time of year they would struggle with him. And other guy, they found other guys had to do what they did last night, which is, all right, you have to be this. You have to make the shots. You have to create. You have to make all the decisions. And they've shown time and time again, they're not there yet. You know, so if you may, if you neutralize, and I, I hate to use that word because you're never, like I said, you're never going to shut down Smiley Kawhi. Right. But if you just limit him and, and make it difficult for him to not only um, score, but make decisions, because that's one of the most underrated parts about his game. Everybody looks at, you know, his dunks and his threes and things like that. Kawhi Leonard is a great decision maker. You know, if he feels somebody, you know, Coming to double team, he immediately makes the right pass. It might not be the assist, but it's the right pass. If he gets in the paint, he feels like he has a good matchup over a shorter guy. You see, he doesn't he doesn't mess around with him. He just shoots over him. Kawhi Leonard's ability to uh, make decisions is probably his best asset, not his scoring. You know what I mean? So if right. they make him, listen, you got to just give the ball up. Like you said, when they send three guys at him, it's like, listen, I, I dare you to let one of these other guys make the decision instead of you. 
that that messes the uh, Raptors up. But the Raptors are a great team. They're watching that film. They probably watched that film three times already, and they figure out where they went wrong. It's no way in the world that happens again in Game Three. And obviously, as a Sixers fan, if it does, I'm happy. But I got to be realistic. I don't see it. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. And I also think that, like, all right, so I'm not trying to hate too much on the Sixers, but the weakest link, I think, on their team is their bench and the lack of depth that they have. That's why Brown runs his starters so often, especially to start the second quarter. Like, the, he leaves them no quarter to uh, to rest. It's it's go, go, go. And I like that. I appreciate that. But when you have guys like James Annis or Greg Monroe, former rapper who Raptor who falls on his face all the time in the Raptors uniform, Greg Monroe, legitimately posting up and scoring on them, the Raptors bench needs to wake up. And this, these are the things. These are the things that the Sixers did so well in this game. They took advantage of opportunities. And I just don't know if you agree with this, but personally, I don't know that the Sixers bench can keep that up. I don't know how much that is sustainable at this point. I don't know either. I got to be honest. I'm, 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 I'm with you on that. I don't see the six. We all know that the Raptors play nine guys. The Sixers play six for the most part, like you said, because he has mm-hmm. to run the starters um, so much. And like I said, that's why I don't see this game coming down. I don't see this series, sorry, coming down to Brett Brown's coaching. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Like, it's weird. like I said, for me personally, I feel like the Sixers' best chance is to limit Kawhi and Kyle, make other guys make decisions, make other guys beat you. Even Siakam, as good as he is, if – He's not going to beat you. Don't get me wrong. He will add on. He will have a great game. You know, he right, will be right. that that supplemental force that the Raptors need at times where Kawhi and Kyle is limited. But that guy by himself isn't going to beat you like a Joel Embiid, like a Jimmy Butler can. Um, so I, I think in so many ways they do have to limit them. But they do have to realize that we are limited in the sense that we don't have as much depth as them. Um, I see the Raptors bench stepping up. Um, defensively more than anything and, and making adjustments. Like there were times where like you would see Joe and B get the ball and, and a guy comes from the baseline immediately just to get the ball out of his hands. I see right. him becoming a little more sharper throughout this series. But like I said, so much of it boils right back down to the Kawhi and Jimmy and not necessarily matchup, um, but the Kawhi and Jimmy question mark of which guy is going to show up the most for their team. Yeah, it's interesting that you you valued Jimmy Butler as the the most important player for the Sixers, and I, you know, this after series. listening to you, sorry, yeah, for this series, right? And after listening to your show, it, I tend to agree with you because, you know, before this, I was under the mind that Embiid was going to be the biggest player on the Sixers to either make or break it. Um, I know he was dealing with some stomach flu issues and prior to Game Two and pretty much into it. Um, and as a Raptors fans, we're we're pretty much licking our chops for that because, <laughs> like I mentioned, Casal did a pretty good job containing him in Game One. But when you couple that ailment with these the the knee issue, um, tendonitis in his in his knee, I think it is. For me, I don't know if I can trust that longevity, especially in a playoff series that is definitely going to get more physical. You know it, man. Philly basketball. And Kyle Lowry is the epitome of Philly basketball. It's tough, hard-nosed basketball. And this is a classic. If anything, I walked away from watching Game 2. That was a a classic Eastern Conference playoff game. That was physical, and I loved it. That being said, I don't know that Embiid can keep it up properly without any setbacks and i kind of wanted to get your take on that yeah no it's definitely a uh it's definitely a huge question mark with him and his health and his conditioning um in so many ways and this is something that you know obviously Sixers fans have been dealing with for for years now since pretty much since he came in the league i mean he he got drafted with an injury (laughs) right talking about a guy who's always been a question mark as far as his health never his skill set um but I do trust the longevity of him. I think the only way that you get that longevity out of him is you cut back in the regular season. When you look at a Kawhi Leonard, Kawhi played just north of 60 games this year, and obviously that was because of injury, but it is showing that he's fresh right. um, this time of year. When you look at the the model that the Spurs have created in the sense that, yeah, you rest guys at random times and it seems weird, and, yeah, the fans might have something to do for it. I mean, something to do uh, – sorry, something to say about it. Um but in the postseason, they always show up. I think you have to deal with a Joel Embiid in the same sense. And obviously, he's not as old as a Tim Duncan was when they did a lot of that. But he's a guy who he plays very physically. You know, he plays very loose. He plays very freely. But he's 7'2". And at the end of the day, 
game in and game out of running him as much as Brett Brown does run him, it wears on him. You know, it wears yeah. on him. And I think Joel himself has to, you know, maybe take a, a better look at his conditioning um, leading up to the season. I, I feel like he could get in better shape in that way. But as far as the things that he can't control, like his knees, like some of the viruses and stuff like that, I think Philly fans have to just hope that throughout the year he isn't run down as much. So in this time of year, when let's call it what it is, is the most important that he's um he's ready to go. Yeah, you know, the the conditioning is definitely a huge factor, and it's also the way he plays, right? He, like I, we've been mentioning, he plays very physical. And I yeah. think a big aspect of his game is, I don't want to say how he relies on it, but it is a factor how he... he yeah, it, he he's yeah. able to draw foul, like, easily, and he's able to get those calls. But, you know, in a bad situation... If something happens to that knee, because you know this, players rely on their knees, man. If your your knees ain't right, you're not playing well. So, yeah, you know. Yeah. So this is my fear, I guess. Well, as a Raptors fan, I, I don't want to ever see anyone get hurt, but I'll take any advantage I can get in this series. Um, I I, just, I don't know. I I think that having a guy that you rely on this much with this big of a question mark heading into the playoffs, ugh, if he misses one game, I think it's over for the Sixers. And that is another reason why I said that he's not the biggest um, factor right. in this series. That's, that's another reason why I said that because, I mean, the Sixers have shown they can do it before, you know, do it for uh, without him necessarily on the floor as much as he is, but it's just who is who's going to step up. Um, right now it's not Ben Simmons. It will be eventually, but obviously right now Ben Simmons is not that guy that they can depend on this time of year to lead this team, um, you know, down the stretch, and that's okay. That's why they went and got – a Jimmy Butler. You know what I mean? I, I think, yes, Joel Embiid is kind of a tentative thing because he's been tentative since the playoffs have started. It's, it's Since the playoffs have started, they've always been wondering, like, okay, is he going to be okay versus his knees? Like you said, the stomach virus uh, last game, things like that. And it's always this kind of question mark with his health. And because of that, you have to depend on a Tobias Harris or a Jimmy Butler um, or Ben Simmons. Oh, Mike Scott, you get anybody else, right. you know, anybody else. But like I said, that played into me saying I do not think that he's the defining factor. Now, as far as this team is going forward, yes, Joel Embiid is the anchor. Nobody can negate his importance um, for this Sixers team. But this time of year, after they had this long season, like you said, he's played as physically as he have up until this point. I don't think the 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 feed and be feed and be feed and be motto is the way to go. Because it's not, and if it does get us past this series, it's going to be a very short uh, Eastern Conference Finals. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. You touched on Ben Simmons, and I do think his performance in Game 2 didn't get a lot of credit. Like, you look at the stat line, right? And I think this is the knee-jerk reaction with a lot of people. You see six points, four turnovers. You're like, ah, not that good of a game. You kind of want more in the playoffs. However... He did an adequate job staying glued to Kawhi during Game 2. I know Kawhi dropped 35, all right, and that's that's pretty mm-hmm. good. But for a player to play north of four, about rather 44 and a half minutes, all while guarding one of the best players in the league, if not in the Eastern Conference, yes. that's, pretty, that's saying something. That's a huge bounce back from Game 1. How confident are you that he's going to be able to maintain that sort of pressure? Because, you know, even though, like I mentioned, Kawhi dropped 35 on him in Game 2, he stuck with them. So do you think this is something that is sustainable for Simmons? Or do you think Kawhi is, as you mentioned, he's so smart and his basketball IQ is so high that he'll make the adjustment that Simmons probably won't catch up to? Um, I don't think that he'll shut down Kawhi. Obviously, he didn't last night in 35 right. points. But he made it a little more difficult for him to do that. But I do think, and that's the beauty of a Ben Simmons, you know, obviously the the main argument with him is his shot, his shot, his shot. When's he going to get his shot? But that's the beauty of him. On a night where he's not offensively, you know, giving you just overpowering effort offensively, he can do his thing defensively. Um, I don't think it's sustainable on somebody like Kawhi, but it doesn't have to be. Like I said, you just have to, to, to when you're on him, because I think the key to Kawhi is switching different guys on him, giving them different looks. A, a player as good as Kawhi, um, who's seen as much basketball as he had, obviously, this time of year, once he sees one scheme over and over and over again, he's going to attack it like he did Ben Simmons um, yesterday. You saw every time he got the ball, he would rip left. He would rip left. He, he's going left on him. Yep. I don't know how he got to that point and figuring out that would work, but it's like once he sees a scheme over and over and over again, he's going to be like, okay, I just have to do this to get by you. I just have to do this to shoot over you. 
So I think the key is going to be to, to, you know, put different guys on him. But when Ben Simmons on him, if he can make Kawhi's shots that much more difficult and he can make things, you know, that much um, – if he can make things that much more difficult for Kawhi Leonard when he gets on him, that might be all we need from Ben Simmons in this series. We might not need Ben Simmons to go for 30, 40 points or have, you know, a game where he has 15 assists, something like that. But if he can make things more difficult for Kawhi and Kyle when he ended up on him as well, that might be all we need. We touched on a lot of the things that uh, the Sixers did well, and they did a lot of things well in Game 2. And like you said, like it wasn't like a, an easy victory for them, right? They they won by five points. Yeah. It's pretty much by three, yeah, no. but it, it, on the scoreboard, it's five points. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do want to touch on the things that the Raptors did well, though. I think one of the things, it was a late you know recognition of this, but one of the, the matchups that I was starting to like more and more, and that I hope, for the Raptors' sake, the 76ers do it again, is Harris guarding Gasol. Now, Gasol isn't a post-up player. He's really not. And when he does, it's poor. Like, you saw that in the beginning of the game. But He's one of the first stretch forwards. Yeah, 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 you're right. His uh, strength is the passing game, right? And when you have Embiid, you know, off him and instead guarding Siakam, this frees up, like, a nice little path of vision for Gasol that he probably wouldn't otherwise have because Tobias Harris isn't that tall in comparison to Embiid. So when you have that advantage in your hand, I think that can open up a lot of things if they're able to feed Gasol down low a little bit to draw the defense in and have him kick it out. I think that's something that the Raptors can take advantage of. I don't know if Brett Brown recognizes because it did happen, but sort of too little too late in the game. Um, But I kind of want to get your thoughts on that. Do you think Gasol has the ability to take advantage of that matchup against Harris? Yes, they're de- yeah, and they're definitely going to exploit it. Um, and you saw at times where, like I said, Ben Simmons was not on um, Kawhi; he was on Kyle. Mm-hmm. And obviously, that length and um, mobility disrupts my like Kyle. You know, like a guy who you look to as your point guard that disrupts him. And then you kick the ball down to the four and um, and Gasol, and obviously he becomes the ultimate decision maker, kind of like the Joker for uh, for for the Nuggets. You know, like right. you throw the ball not necessarily in the deep post, but in the mid post area, and you just kind of let him. Everybody, you know, they're cutting off of it on the weak side and things like that. That allows him to be the ultimate decision maker. It almost allows him to, in a way, become your point guard. And I can see them exploiting that. Um, at which point I think the Sixers will have to, I would hope they would know to, all right, now we have to adjust. We have to throw different looks on them. I think so much of this year what it comes down to is everybody knows everybody at this point. We've all played several games together. You know, we've all seen each other's schemes and things like that. And obviously going into a game three, we have both had a game where we've allowed each other to take the other one's best hit. I think so much of what this time of year is, is who can make the most adjustments while you know, really sticking to what they're trying to do. Who can throw the most adjustments defensively and offensively at the other team so they don't get used to it while sticking to your ultimate scheme? For the Raptors, that's obviously Kawhi going for 30-plus points. Siakam throwing in his 15 to 20 points. Kyle getting eight-plus assists. And um, Gasol decision-making. And obviously other guys chipping in when they can. For the Sixers, that's Jimmy Butler carrying a lot of the load that Joel Embiid can at this point in the season. Ben Simmons getting his assist and Tobias Harris, you know, knocking down his shots when he does get them. But so much of it is going to be about adjustments. I definitely see, see them exploiting that in game three. Um, like you said, it happened a little too late and they're probably watching it saying, oh, my gosh, we would have did this that much earlier. Would have worked. But I could see the Sixers. I would hope the Sixers, uh, shall I say, you know, have the wear thought of, like, OK, now we have to throw different looks at him. So if one possession he comes down and Tobias Harris takes him. And obviously, yes, he throws right over him for a skip pass to Kawhi or something like that. As long as that shot is made difficult, he might not be as inclined to throw that again. Right. But then two possessions later, if he comes down and Joel Embiid has him, he's not even looking for that pass. Now you turn him into a low post score. Now you don't neutralize somebody like Gasol, but you've taken him out of a lot of the game plan that they have for him. Yeah, that's primarily the reason why the, the Raptors acquired him is, one, he's a better three-point threat than Jonas Valanciunas was, and two, like I mentioned, the passing. Um, I don't know. I, I think that the Raptors have uh, the ability to make these adjustments. Again, Nick Nurse is a rookie coach. I hope Nick Nurse makes these adjustments, and I hope that he's quicker to uh, to pull the leash on the on the bench because, look, if your bench is scoring a total, right? So Raptors put up 89 points. If your bench is scoring a total of five points, you're not winning games. You're just not. And when you see Fred Van Vliet going 
0 for 2 on in the field and 0 for 1 from deep, and you have Serge Ibaka pretty much jumping on every single Joel Embiid pump fake three point. He's not going to shoot it, and if he does, oh, let him shoot it. <laughs> let him shoot it. Let him go. I'm a fan, and I feel like that. Like, oh my gosh, man, stop with the pump fake every time. But, but Serge was biting. Right, yes, search was play along. I don't, yeah. don't 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 go away from it. Like you said, he was biting on every one. You know, he drew how many fouls off of that? I get it, but yeah. I know uh, the the bench has to perform better. But if they're not, and if they have these mental lapses again, you gotta push your starters, man. You gotta have Marcus All on the floor every t- single time and beat is. You have to have Danny Green get into rhythm. I He had six three-point attempts yesterday. That is unacceptable. I know he only hit one of them, but you got to give him more chances to get into rhythm and to shoot those threes because that is what he is, a 3 and D guy. If these players are playing just south of 35 minutes, you're not winning. This is why you have them on the team, to beat players, to beat all-stars. And if they're not going to push them, if Nick Nurse isn't going to push their starters... I don't see hope for the Raptors, so I'm hoping that Nick Nurse makes these adjustments. Again, Brett Brown did it first, and he did it fantastically. It's now time for Nick Nurse to do the same thing. Oh, yeah. Most definitely. Most definitely. He has to. This time of year is so much about adjustments. All right, so let's move on to games three and four. They're both on your home turf in Philly. That's a hot crowd, right? I, I know it is hot. Style. It is hot, man. Like Eagles fans are hot, Phillies fans are hot, 76ers fans. This is where ECW was born. So it's it's a it's a hot place to play, right? The environment isn't unfamiliar though to Kyle Lowry. Like I said, fellow Philly native, Villanova alumnus, he is he knows the gravity of the situation. That being said, do you think the game plan heading into Philly with these games are, is going to be to try to utilize that, utilize the crowd to sort of knock off the Raptors' focus? Or do you think, like, specifically with Kyle, he's so prepared, he's so used to this environment that he might often thrive in it? Yeah. No, somebody like Kyle is definitely going to thrive in it. You know, and him and his competitive nature in the sense that he just he loves to be booed. He loves to, to feel like his, it's him against the world. He's definitely going to thrive. Um in that I would hope the Sixers don't depend on the crowd for much. Obviously, yes, it's nice to be home, but I think it's kind of foolish for a team to uh, to say, all right, the crowd is going to be our sixth man because at the end of the day, the crowd doesn't get out there, and you're dealing with guys who are used to this you know, level of just hostility um, because they play so much basketball. But I do think Kyle coming back to Philly and obviously in the series, I think he does have to be a focal point of, okay, we can't let him – if we see at any point he starts to kind of run away with it and really get started like he did at the end of game two, mm-hmm. we have to make the adjustments to immediately, immediately as best as we can neutralize him. They cannot let Kyle get into a rhythm because the thing about somebody like Kyle is he gets to a rhythm. You're not just dealing with somebody who's going to shoot every time. Now you're dealing with a guy who him and rhythm looks like he's coming down the floor. One time he just pulls up, bang, three. Mm-hmm. The next time he drives baseline and kicks to somebody, they get a three because you're so worried about him scoring and think he's just going to go under and, and take a layup. And then the next time he comes down and he draws a foul, Kyle getting in the rhythm is a complete game changer because it's not like a James Harden where you just know it's going to be point after point after point and, you know, a couple of fouls. You're dealing with a guy who's going to ultimately begin to rebound better. You know, gonna, he's just going to begin to to really run this team. And like I said before, he is the leader of this team. So they cannot let him get out. I think it does have to be a very, uh, you know, fine microscope on Kyle Lowry and coming back to Philly. But you also can't give it so much weight that you let the other guys get off. It's interesting that you say that because there's a lot of hate towards Kyle Lowry, not just from some Raptors fans, but there's this perception on him in the playoffs that he chokes. I don't think that's accurate, right? I no. think, again, you look at things on a stat sheet and you look at points first and you if there's not like double digits or into the 20s, it's like, oh, had a bad game. I don't, I don't buy that logic at all. And I think yeah. you're right. Kyle Lowry is the general for this team. He sets the tone, period. Um, there's this phrase that the, the Raptors commentators like to use, like, don't poke the bear. And I think that defines Kyle Lowry's game to the T. Once you you get him angry, and I, and I don't know if this is indicative of Philly basketball, maybe you can tell me, but once you get him angry, it's almost like he he feeds off it. And if, yeah. if you get him angry, and if you get physical with him, he is going to flip that switch and take his game to a whole new level. Mm-hmm. 
And you, I, I think as a competitor, you, um, you can't depend on that too much. Like you can't, you obviously can't play nice with a guy like right. that. You can't let him go off and walk over you, but you do have to keep that balance in the sense of you don't want to, you, I, I guess the best way to put it is you don't want to make him angry. You want to make him frustrated. Mm. When, when as most players, when you make them frustrated, they start making decisions. They don't want to, they start making decisions to make up for what they feel as though they lost, as opposed to a guy who's angry. Now they're just running you over. And Kyle is definitely, definitely <laughs> one of those guys. Side note, do you think he was trying to nutmeg Harris yesterday at the final play of that game? game? Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I thought that was crazy. I thought that was, first of all, it was amazing to see because it's like, yes, as a Sixers <laughs> fan. But at the same time, it was like, yo, it's like, it was wild. Like, he really tried to do that for a game. I, we were watching it. I'm just like, wow, he really went for it. He really went for it. But that And that's something you have to respect about Kyle, like his ability to just say, hey, listen. I'm going to go for it, you know, I, and, and obviously in so many times before that has played into, you know, uh, very, very clutch moments and things that have lifted the Raptors. But I'm happy last night that it, it wasn't exactly uh, it wasn't exactly their best moment. <laughs> it's it's fun because it's a nice little talking point. Like, again, did he really just do that? Oh, my God. But I, I'm glad that he was able to, you know, maintain possession and, you know, kick the ball back. That led to the Danny Green miss. But at the same time, I don't know if that's the time to take that chance when you have like 10 seconds left on the clock. But anyways, you know, leave it to Kyle Lowry. You know, if that, that's if that's their shack in a full moment, then I'm fine with that. All right. Let me put you on the spot here and we can wrap it up. Look, on your show and on this one as well, you said Sixers and seven. All right. And you also said that no way. Is Toronto losing two in a row? Yeah, and you you were right. The Sixers took one on the road. Having said that, they took game two. And if you're maintaining that the Raptors aren't going to lose two in a row, that means you might be leaning towards them taking game three. Yeah. Do I have that right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe you might work on that one. Most definitely, most definitely. Obviously, I would hope that they would get this first one at home. Um, but if they have the momentum going back to Toronto, that makes the pressure. It puts the pressure back on around. You know what I mean? If they, if they, let's say they drop this game in Game Three, the first game in Philly, and then they get Game Four. So obviously we're back to two two. We're tied up. Um, going back to Toronto now, the pressure's on Toronto. I would like that more because now the pressure's on them to get it over. With, you know what I mean? I think that's the best part about being an underdog is the sense of there's no pressure on you. You know, you're playing with house money. Nobody really expects you to win. And when you're the team that's at top, everybody's looking like, why isn't this over yet? Why aren't you guys taking care of business? And to them, it looks like that. To you, you're seeing a team that is hungry and playing free and loose. Um, in Toronto, in a lot of ways, they're they're kind of they have to play with a sense, like I said, a sense of urgency. You want to turn that into a sense of fear and a sense of, oh my God, we really thought we were gonna, you know, get to a certain point because LeBron was out of the way, and now it's not as much of a cakewalk as we thought. Obviously, this is a little more psychological, you know, part of the game. Um, but I would like to see the Sixers win both of them at home, but I don't see that happening. I have to stand by what I said in the sense of I do not see the Raptors as a team that loses two games in a row at this time of the year. But that's why it's a seven-game series. If you can go back and forth, back and forth, and get that seventh one, fine. I'm fine with that as long as we come out of the series with a win. Yeah, I can see that. I, I did have the Raptors taking this in six. I, I mentioned on my show, my heart is saying six, but my head is saying seven. Um, yeah. I think a lot of people underestimated this Philly, the the 76ers squad, right? Because there were a lot of Raptors fans that said this is over in five. And I think your your co-host even like sort of hinted towards that. I think he said six. He, he said it. Yeah, okay. He said five. Yeah. <laughs> he yeah. said it wasn't no hint about it. Yeah. He straight up said, oh, Raptors in five. Yeah. I'm sorry. Like, even as a Raptors fan, that's ballsy, man. Yeah. <laughs> But I do think the Raptors will respond to this. Like you said, they're probably obsessing over the footage right now. They're probably recognizing their weakness. And like I said, Coach Nick Nurse got a lot of heat over how he you know, utilized his rotations yesterday. So I do think that they're going to make the adjustments and bounce back. Game four, though, is the toss-up, right? I would love it to see the Raptors win game four, obviously. But as you mentioned about the Raptors, I don't know that I see the 76ers dropping two straight. Yeah. No, 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 no. You have two teams that have too much pride and, quite honestly, too much talent to do that. Um, and that, to me, that's why I put it on the coaches. You know, that's why I put it on the coaches. The talent isn't isn't uh, lacking for either team. You know, 
the pride isn't likely to see you're playing. You have two teams that obviously are full of great competitors. I think that's where it kind of comes down to the coaching in the sense of, all right, what are you doing as a coach? You know, when you go home and look in the mirror, what are you doing to say, all right, we lost this game. We have to get this win tomorrow. I mean, in the following day, we have to make sure that we win this next game. Um, that's about as much as I can put on the coach at that point. So for Toronto Raptors fans and, you know, media personnel, we have been eliminated from the playoffs in round two in two consecutive years. And I think that with all the all-in moves that our, you know, president and GM made, if we got eliminated in round two, we would regard that as a failure. And I don't know if that's just the gravity of the situation that the Raptors, you know, the moves that they made and how it speaks towards that. And again, the gravity of whether or not Kawhi is going to stay. I think that all those components make that difference. Is that the same on Philly's end? Like, I know you mentioned on the show that, you know, Brett Brown, his, his career may be on line it, in terms of the, the outcome of the series. But regardless of that, if they were to be eliminated in round two, the 76ers, that is, do you consider this season a failure? I don't consider this season a failure at all. I think, like I said before, so much of it comes down to how they lose. If they, if they lose this series, how are they lose? If this series was, you know, went to five games, and obviously that means the Sixers only got one, then yes, that is a complete and utter failure. There's no way to get around it. You can't, you know, negate that fact at all. If they take this uh, series to a game seven and then lose, yes, it is still a failure because losing is losing. You can't mm-hmm. get around that. But it's easier to be easier on a Brett Brown, um, and it's easier to say, all right, let's bring these guys back because we were right there. Maybe with one more year of experience, they'll be that much better. Um, as opposed to, or right, they lose in game five, or if they lose in six, just in terrible fashion, as in the sense of these next couple games just go awful. You know, they get one more and these next couple games go awful for the Sixers. I think things like that play into a GM, the president's mind, where it's like, right, we have to make major adjustments. It's like I said, they get it to a game seven, it gets a little harder to break up this team. It gets a little harder to say, all right, we don't want Jimmy Butler back and we're not willing to do X, Y, and Z or give this guy a max. But if they make it to a game seven and lose, then it's like, okay, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll tip our heads. We came up against a very hungry, very experienced uh, Toronto Raptors team that has been there several times. And next year, we know we won't be dealing with the same result because we'll be that much better. You know, this team that they have on the floor, that starting lineup, those guys have only played north of 20 games together. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So they're thinking, okay, if we can get these guys for 82 games together, imagine what happens this time of year. Um Next year. Yeah. Yeah, I do think that there are a lot of similarities between the Raptors and the Sixers, which makes this seri- this playoff series so interesting. And in fact, I think that of the remaining playoff series, the Raptors against the Sixers is probably the most evenly matched and may even be the most entertaining. Um, yeah. I know there's a lot of drama with the Houston Golden State. For me, that's sort of like if, if you don't bet on Golden State, I don't know. Like, they're, they're the champs. You kind of got to go with them. But in terms of, like, the drama, I do think that Philly and Toronto has that. And, again, it's a physical series. So there are a lot of similarities. If this does go the distance, I hope for either team's sake that the Bucks celtics go the distance, too, because you do not want to go up against a fresh either squad after that. Especially with it starts to look right now. Yeah. At all. I hate that team. Anyways, all right. So that will, uh, I mean, I'm be honest with you. I'm watching it right now. Yeah. They're a different team. They're oh, a different man. team. They they have the ability to, as we mentioned, contain and shut down Giannis. It's over. It's over. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's gonna do it, dude. I appreciate you coming on. This is your time to shine. Literally promote anything you got going on. Where people can find you on Twitter, all the podcasts you're on, anything you got, go for it. Floor is yours. Mm-hmm. My man, thank you. Um, on Twitter and Instagram at D Ray the Director. Uh, that's D R E Y the Director. Like I said, on Twitter and Instagram. Um, the Stay Tuned Network, which has my show and some other things coming up. Stay tuned for that. Um, we're adding some people to the Stay Tuned brand. So definitely tune in with that. That's at the Stay Tuned Network on Twitter and Instagram as well. Um, my podcast, Stay Tuned with D Ray on Apple and Spotify. Um, and obviously, um, the Big Five Show on Believe um, Podcast Network, as well as me and uh, Aton Show um, on Believe Podcast Network. We talk all things 76ers. So I think, I think that's about it. <laughs> I, I know that was a lot. I know that was a lot, but I, I think that's about it. But like I said, just stay tuned with all of those things happening with the Stay Tuned brand, as well as um, everything with Believe Podcast Network. 
right. All those links will be in the description for the show. So I, I highly encourage everyone to subscribe, take a listen, follow on Twitter, all the above. Daryl, it's been a pleasure having you on. And uh, I know you're going to disagree, but go Raptors. But regardless, it's going to oh, be a good series nonetheless. Oh, man. <laughs> that, uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for listening to the South of the Six podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at South of the Six and subscribe to our show. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. Yeah, we're everywhere. While you're at it, if you liked what you heard, do us a solid and leave us five stars and a quick review. We appreciate it. Thanks again. Go Jays and Raptors. Thank you.